well. And that sense of family and um, the, the hope of things to come. And, and as, as Debbie was saying, it's experimental this morning and next week. But we do look forward to when we can all be together, no matter what age we are, etc. And the body of Christ uh, across all the generations is welcome, isn't it? And uh, it's important we, we get a lot of encouragement from one another. If you've got a Bible with you and you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 7, have that open. We're continuing the theme of a meal with Jesus and uh, we'll be breaking bread together um, a little bit later uh, at the end of the message. Um, but uh, meals, I, I guess uh, every one of us has probably got uh, a meal that they look back to in a particular way that has particular memories for you. And some of mine uh, are actually found abroad um, when I went to Romania, to, to Kenya, to the Democratic Republic of Congo and uh, done, done some ministry abroad. And one of the things that they would love to do is invite you into the home after into a home or into the back of the church where they got a meal laid out. And we had some most amazing occasions of just uh, feasting and uh, fellowshipping and uh, that, that challenge of different language but being one in Christ, one in the Spirit and just really enjoying the presence of the Lord together in a meal. And uh, I guess for me, meals, you know, they, they just mean so much in so many different ways for us. Um, we think of, you know, the older tradition, it's, it, sadly it's fading away, isn't it, of, of the family meal where at, at once a day at least families would be together, they would be around a table, they would be sharing in a meal together and as they shared in that meal together there was chatter going on, they were perhaps talking about their day, unwinding and just sharing problems and burdens. Uh, perhaps there were jokes occasionally and there was laughter Maybe it was about politics, maybe it was a theology, maybe it was the Sunday morning message, maybe it's something you, you did in children, the children did in children's work and so on. So meals are, are, are a great time. Somehow or other we're more relaxed and uh, around a meal and we can talk about things in a more relaxed way, in a more open way. And I think that's one of the reasons why Alpha is so successful um, because, of course, we're presenting the gospel within the context of a meal. We're sharing together and, uh, and I, can, I can remember some amazing experiences through Alpha as well. So we, we, we love to eat, uh, and I guess that applies to, to all of us. Uh, we, we love to eat, and I, I guess you have your favourite meal as well. We won't go into that now, otherwise you will start salivating and uh, you'll be longing for dinner pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, we love a good meal. And it's, just talking of that, it's amazing, you know, how the body works. I understand when I, you, you know, when, you, when you're going to have some of these tests, for example, a barium meal, which I had back last year, that I, I didn't know at the time, but this is what I was told afterwards. Oh, yeah, that's what happened. They start talking to you about what your favourite food is because apparently it gets the processes going. It starts sending the messages down into the system, ready to receive the food and to, to pass it through. And stuff. I mean, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, aren't we? It's just staggering, isn't it? So, um, so, so meals are, are, are vital. They're important, not just for us personally, but together, corporately, as we share together. And in Jesus' time, a lot happened around meals. In fact, there are several meals uh, through the, the, uh, Luke's Gospel. 
where, where Jesus is involved. And, uh, and of course, when we look at the New Testament church, we, we read that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread and of prayers. And they, they broke bread from house to house. It was a regular occurrence. Much of the gospel, uh, much of church um, life took place around a meal. And so let's just have a look then at Luke chapter 7, shall we? And if you've got your Bible open there, whether it's on an app or a physical Bible, uh, we're looking at verse 36, and we just really just, I, I just love the story. I mean, in many ways, I could just read the story. We could just sit down and think about it and then go into communion because it is such a powerful story in and of itself. Verse 36, chapter 7. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he, he sat down to eat. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she stood at his feet behind him. We have to remember that they didn't sit at meals like we do with the table in the middle and their feet under the table. They, they kind of laid on their side and uh, propped on, on one arm and they ate with the other hand and, and their, their feet would be out behind them. She stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. I wonder what you think about that at this moment. I wonder what your reaction would have been if you were in that situation. What would have been going through your mind? This woman, this sinner, coming into this house, uninvited. And suddenly she's behind Jesus and she's just weeping, weeping. And she begins to wash his feet with her tears and she wipes them with her hair lets her hair down. And she kisses his feet, anoints them with fragrant oil. What would your reaction have been? When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So his immediate reaction is, I've heard this lady's name. I know who she is. And she, she dares to come in here, and she dares to, to behave like this. And, and I thought this man was a prophet. Well, he, he can't be, can he? Because if he was a prophet, he wouldn't allow this to carry on, would he? He would stop it immediately. If he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, and one hoped 500 denaria and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, 
Therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who, whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? You see, it's important to notice that. Do you see this woman? He had not seen the woman. He had seen her sin. He'd seen everything that was wrong about her. And we can do exactly the same thing. And Jesus was inviting him to look beyond the sin and see the woman. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her ha the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Simon had not even given him the customary greeting. More on that in a minute or two. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved much, or that's why she loves much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Oh, it's just wonderful, that is. That is just wonderful. And I... Have you ever heard that? Do you know Jesus saying that to you? Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Or literally, go into peace. Go into it. And there may be some here this morning that just need to hear that. To go into peace. You are forgiven. Go into peace. Go into shalom. Go into that wholeness that he gives you in Jesus. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And so we have a Pharisee whose name is Simon. We have a woman who is unnamed. We have Jesus and we have the onlookers. And the larger context of, of this story is, is Luke's gospel itself. And I, I love the way the gospels are, are framed and I was, love the way that Luke frames his gospel in a very particular way. And if you know anything about the beginning of it, he says at the very beginning, Theophilus, I'm writing through these things to you so that you may know and that you may be sure of these things, that you may believe, you may have every confidence in Jesus. And so he writes very deliberately his gospel with that aim in mind, to help Theophilus understand who Jesus is. And that's what's going on in this particular parable. Those in that room are asking the question, Simon is in this room, he's a Pharisee, he's not sure who Jesus is. 
We, we have those around the table, and, and, and they are not sure who Jesus is. You see, Jesus' fame has spread abroad. Suddenly, people have been flocking to hear him. He has been healing people. He has been touching people with leprosy. Holy people didn't do that kind of thing. He has been forgiving sins. He's been engaging with, with, with a Roman family, a centurion, whose servant is ill. So th this man is, is kind of staggering their imagination. And I suppose there's a question there, why, why, does, why does Simon invite him in? He obviously is... A, is it because he's the guy on the block at the moment? He's, he's the guy who's got the name. Maybe if I just invite him in, that will do me some kind of good. Maybe he's, he's thinking, well, um, actually, I would really like to know more about this man, Jesus. But the indication here is that he doesn't really want him to be welcome because he has not provided for him in that way. But Luke's gospel, it's, it's staggering. The gospel of the kingdom and through it, if you, if you read it and re re read it without your religious eyes, as it were, if you read it and let it jump at you, it's a staggering story. It's a staggering message. Because we're confronted with the fact that God comes among us and he goes to the people that the religious people said were, well, kind of like hopeless cases. He goes to the downtrodden, the poor, the despised, the rejected, the destitute, and he offers them hope. And uh, in this gospel, we, we, you know, we see just before this chapter, actually, we see the sermon, the, 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 what's known as the Sermon on the Plain, which parallels the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, we, we see that Jesus offers blessing to those that were unblessed, which was staggering. And so we see something of the bigness, the greatness, the magnificence, the outrageousness of the gospel as we read these stories. You know, the Pharisees get a lot of bad press, and, and, and for very good reason. But what a lot of people forget is that they, were originally, they weren't originally like that. They were originally a restoration movement. They were a renewal movement in Israel. They were a, a back-to-God, back-to-the-Bible kind of people who said, we, 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 we've drifted, we, we need to get back to God, we need to get back to the law. Their desire was for renewal. And in that respect, they were 100% all in. In fact, they were 110% all in. They went above and beyond and yet the sad fact is, they were wrong. They were wrong. So when Jesus turned up, they didn't recognize him. They couldn't accept him. They had become religious. They got into performance-based practice of their faith. And in doing so, they became judgmental and exclusive. They thought they were cut above the rest. And so they looked down on others. And Jesus had some strong words to say about them. Can you imagine today preaching? You are whitewashed tombs. What would the reaction be? You know, you're all light, nice and pretty and clean on the outside, but on the inside, you're decaying. 
They were vipers. It was laws, laws, and more laws. And in doing so, they exalted themselves and they condemned others. They had a knowledge of God, but they did not know him. I think that's important to hear that, because we can have a knowledge of God, but not know him. They could study the word, but not surrender their hearts to him. We can be students even of theology. And there are students of theology out there, there are theologians out there who, who study the scriptures, but their hearts are not surrendered to him. That's not saying that study is wrong or the study of theology is wrong. So when Jesus came, he he rattled their cage. And they were offended. Whether it was going into the grain fields and plucking and eating the grains with his disciples, whether it was healing the, the paralytic and forgiving his sins, whether it's spending time with those tax collectors, those traitors, those, those Jews who were happy to go in league with the Roman, collect the taxes and pocket some on the way themselves. Whether it was associating with the sinners, Jesus contradicted their expectations. And so the Pharisees were offended. Time and again, you read of offence taking place, and we haven't got time to, to go into that, but time and time again, they were offended by Jesus. And you know, you can't give an answer to an offended heart. All it wants is to find fault and accuse, not to understand. So the Pharisees' head problem was a heart problem. And an offended heart affects the working of the mind. And only recognition of it and repentance from it will change it. It's important. Because, you know, we can get like that as well. And I think it's true to say that there's there's an element of a Pharisee in every one of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible when you see it. And the times when God has exposed my own heart, when I have thought and behaved in the same kinds of ways that the Pharisees do. When it's easier not to see the person and to look at what they're doing and and the situation and to judge them for their sin. So there is a Pharisee in every one of us. And I, you know, I pray, God, help me to see that in me, where, it, where it's there. Root it out of me. I, I want to be able to love like you do. I want to be a demonstration of this outrageous grace that reaches out to broken fallen people, and at the end of the day, Scripture says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. The problem with Pharisees is we we do all the outward stuff. We can do, do religion, and we can do it very well. But actually, inwardly, it's a different thing altogether. So here is, here is this woman, she's invited, she's, she, generally she's believed to be a prostitute, though the text doesn't say that. 
And so in many ways, those who would go down that route are laying something on her that the, script, that the scripture itself doesn't do so. And we have to be careful. We don't lay things on people that are not true of them. We need to be careful in jumping to conclusions. Whatever her sin was, she was looked down on. She was despised and she had a low self-image. But somewhere along the way, no matter her sin, no matter how bad and how deep and dark it was, somewhere along the way, she had heard of Jesus. Somewhere along the way, she may have gotten into the crowd and listened to him. And and somewhere along the way, she had encountered Jesus for herself. That's the only explanation to this story. She has encountered Jesus. She has discovered that he is is God, the Savior in their midst. That he has come for the broken and the poor and the rejected and the down and the cast out and, and those who are labeled sinners in big ways. He's come for her. And she's come to believe in him. And she knows what it is to to be forgiven. She knows what it is to be made clean. She has met in Jesus outrageous grace. And so when she hears that he's at this meal, she wants to be there. It's like, goodness, he's in my locality. He's down the road. He's done so much for me. And so she goes and purchases this, this alabaster fla- uh, flask of fragrant oil. She brings it. She, she walks into that room and she, she weeps because she knows exactly what he has done for her. That he has forgiven her of her many sins that he has cleansed her, that he has made her new. And so she she washes his feet with her tears and she anoints them with fragrant oil. It's a very, very powerful statement. Outrageous grace. Simon doesn't know what to do with it. The people in the room don't know what to do with it. They've never seen a display like this. I mean, what would we do in that situation? Would we point the finger or would we rejoice with her? And so Jesus tells this parable, doesn't he? The parable of the two debtors. In essence, it's saying this, this woman's debt was huge and Simon, you think your debt is small. Therefore, she loves much because she has been forgiven much. And that's one of the problems with Pharisees is they don't really think they've sinned that much. And what sin they have committed, they can probably explain away. They can justify it. Again, all have sinned. doesn't matter what type of sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I wonder this morning, have you encountered his outrageous grace? 
Do you know his power to forgive, to cleanse, to deliver, to heal, to make you anew? Jesus had forgiven her, and he reassures her of that forgiveness. And it's a problem for the onlookers. The onlookers kind of like, whoa, hang on a minute. Human beings don't do that type of thing. Who is this man who forgives sins? And that's a constant refrain in the gospel. Constant refrain uh, from the Pharisees. You can't do that. He could because he was God in the flesh. And he reassures her of her forgiveness. And then he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It is by grace that we're saved through faith, and this not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, says Paul to the Ephesians, doesn't he? Grace only. The faith we have is the very gift of God. Go in peace, go into peace. So Simon saw a sinner, and he saw her sins. Jesus saw the woman, and he touched her heart, and he forgave her sins. He tells her to go into peace, go into shalom, go into wholeness, go into new life. And as we come around this table this morning, so there Jesus was invited to a table. This morning he invites us to a table. And we're not here by our performance, we're here because of his performance. We're not here because we deserve to be, because we don't. We're here because he died for us. He paid the price for our sin. He shed his blood. So I'm going to ask the band to come up as we come to break bread together. Perhaps you'd just like to reflect on that for a moment. Reflecting on that story, do you know God's mercy and grace in your own life? Because this morning, if you've never encountered him, he bids you come. You haven't got to try and be a good person, you come as you are. You come as you are. You recognize your need of Jesus. Sorry for my sin. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. And so, even as we share this table as a family, and we recognize that this is a family meal, there are others who are invited in. If you don't know him, you're invited this morning. So in the room here, we have uh, wafers and, and wine. And if At home, if you have uh, bread and wine available or some form of drink available, Let's, let's break this bread together, shall we? So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup knowing that he was drinking of the cup of God's judgment on our sin. And he took the cup and he said, 
This is the, the new agreement. This is the new covenant. Drink it and do it in remembrance of me. So let us eat and let us drink together as we continue in worship.